calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right, you can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your host with the most and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This historically creepy tale, Story Club members, might make you think about the monstrous side of human nature. It's one I call Hide and Seek. The year was 1888. After his father's untimely death, Hank Jekyll went to live with his aunt Margaret. She lived in the outskirts of London. His father, the famous Dr. Henry Jekyll, had experimented with chemicals that transformed him into Edward Hyde, a truly evil man. After Hank's father, as Hyde, hurt and even killed a few people, the police had tracked him down. His father drank poison to stop Mr. Hyde from hurting anyone else for good. But in killing his evil alter ego Edward Hyde, Dr. Henry Jekyll had also killed himself. So, his son Hank, now an 11-year-old orphan, was taken in by his father's cousin, Margaret Green. She had no kids of her own, so she welcomed the young Hank into her life. Hank had previously gone to an upstanding academy in the city, the best that money could buy. However, the Greens were not as wealthy as Dr. Henry Jekyll had been, so Hank had to go to a public school. And every day, Hank was terrorized by this huge boy named Tommy the Terrible. His real name was Thomas Turnbull, but that's what everyone called Tommy, because he was so mean. He was the strongest boy in school and bullied everyone. Hank had complained about Tommy's mistreatment of him to the school administration, but nobody would do anything about it. The Turnbull family had a lot of political influence in the area, including at the school, so the headmaster could not expel Tommy the Terrible. Every day, it seemed, Tommy the Terrible would shove or trip Hank. One day, he almost made Hank fall down a flight of stairs that would have injured or killed him. And that was the final straw for young Henry Jekyll Jr. When he returned home on that fateful October day, he went through his father's things. He loved his father, and he couldn't understand how he could have kept his experiments about Mr. Hyde a secret. Edward Hyde had been such a different person from his father that Hank had believed that his father had taken on a lab assistant. A ruthless lab assistant with cruel yellow eyes and stringy black hair, but yeah, a different person altogether than his father. Mr. Hyde kind of reminded Hank of Tommy the Terrible, come to think of it. 
As Hank was leafing through his father's lab equipment, the stuff that hadn't been smashed by police investigators when they raided their house and finished the Jekyll and Hyde legacy, he discovered a vial at the bottom of a suitcase. It contained some pale green liquid. It was marked Formula 138. Hmm, Hank wondered, what does this do? Putting the formula aside, he leafed through his father's notebooks. So many pages filled up with his father's precise writing that resembled inky spiders. Then he found it. Formula number 138. It was the Hyde formula, one of the vials that hadn't been destroyed. Somehow it must have been overlooked. That night, Hank had an idea. What if he took some of the formula? It could make him bigger and stronger. He could take on Tommy the Terrible at school and really give him a scare. Then Tommy would never bother him or anyone else ever again. Hank smiled at the idea as he fell asleep. The next morning, as Hank Jekyll prepared for another day at school, he peered at the vial on his desk. No, it would be crazy to do something like that. Look what happened to his father. Besides, this formula might not even work. It'd been nearly two years ago since it was created. Its vitality might have expired. Or maybe it was an early version of the formula. It might not even work. It also might make him sick. Yeah, stupid idea. Dumb. Five minutes later, Hank took a sip of the formula. Curiosity had gotten the better of him. It tasted terrible. Sourer than lemons, more bitter than cranberries. He then left for school. Hank went all day to his classes. Nothing had happened, no change. Which was a shame because Tommy the Terrible was being his usual horrible self. This time, he was picking on another boy that Hank liked, Malcolm McDonald, after school. Tommy had chased Malcolm into an alley next to the school. Poor Malcolm was scared. Hank could not watch that happen, so he jumped on Tommy's back. Yeah, it was a bit of a suicidal move on Hank's part, but he'd had enough of the bully's cruelty. Tommy easily spun around and threw Hank into some boxes of garbage. That's where you belong, mate. The rubbish. Then, Tommy went to work on Malcolm. Hank pulled himself out of the trash. He thought about calling a police officer. Then, he noticed his hands. Dark hair had sprouted on the backs of them. He peered down into a piece of broken mirror. His eyes were yellow, his face haggard, and his hair dark and stringy. It was young Edward Hyde, Eddie Hyde, staring back at him. It wasn't Hank Jekyll anymore. He felt angry, and he felt powerful. More angry and powerful than he'd ever felt before. The junior Mr. Hyde rose from the garbage. He picked up a steel bar that was in the trash. He could actually twist and bend it. He screamed at Tommy the Terrible to turn around. Eddie Hyde demonstrated his new feat of skill to Tommy. The boy looked impressed, but then he attacked. However, Tommy was no match for the young monster, and Hyde was upon him in an instant. Through his crooked yellow teeth and rotten breath, he hissed. You leave everyone at school alone, or I will come for you, Thomas Turnbull. I will be in every corner, every dark hallway, every doorway, every shadowy place, watching you, waiting for you. Tommy screamed, and he agreed never to hurt anyone again. Eddie Hyde let him go. He went to Malcolm McDonald, who was sitting against the alley wall, crying. However, when the boy saw the yellow-eyed monster coming at him, he screamed. It's the Ripper. It's Jack the Ripper. Everyone's talking about. Help! A police officer happened to be walking around the corner at that moment. He spotted Eddie Hyde looming over Malcolm McDonald. It didn't look good. The policeman blew his silver whistle. Oh no, Eddie Hyde thought. Now I'm the monster that my father was. And so he did the only thing that a monster could do in that situation. Flee. 
Eddie Hyde sprinted through the cobblestone streets of town. Women pushing baby strollers screamed. Children ran away shrieking. Horses pulling wagons reared and bolted. The entire town erupted in terror. Soon, a squad of police officers and even some townsfolk with brooms, pitchforks, and rakes were after Eddie Hyde. They kept calling him the Ripper. Beginning in August, there was a series of gruesome murders attributed to a man dubbed Jack the Ripper. Now they believed Eddie was Jack. This was bad. Eddie Hyde hid in the only place monsters can hide, the sewer. He hid under an iron grating and watched as the town people and police officers passed over him. They were gonna lock down the neighborhood. They were not gonna let him escape. Now what would Eddie Hyde, AKA Hank Jekyll do? He had a monster of a problem on his hairy hands. Okay, beloved listeners, if you have a super secret monster transformation formula, please don't drink it. Turning into a monster to battle a monster is the worst way to tackle your monstrous problem. It only makes more monsters. And we don't need more monsters in the world. There are plenty already, am I right? Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This unsettling tale, Story Club members, might make you wonder if you're still yourself by the end of it. It's one I call, Who is Freakin' Who? In case of my demise, I'm recording this to keep some kind of record. My name is Rhonda Sutherland. I'm 11 years old and live on 1938 West Campbell Street. I attend Finney Elementary School and it used to be a great place to go to school. But a few days ago, it was Mrs. Kaufman. She started acting really strange. Thud, thud, thud. I have to talk fast. That pounding you just heard, that's them. They're trying to get in. I'm hiding in a broom closet where I found this microcassette recorder and tape. I lost my phone and I don't have very long. I'm trying to keep as calm as collected as possible, but it's hard. I'm so scared and tired. It all started three days ago. There was a bright orange flash in the sky. It was as fiery as a comet. That morning, Penny Clark and I were walking to school. We saw a big smoldering crater just through the trees in the woods. After we checked it out, we saw these strange plants growing around the smoking hole. They were these pod-like things, about the size of cantaloupes, with a little orange flower sticking out the end of them. They would be kind of pretty if they weren't so strange looking. Anyway, we took one to school with us to show Mrs. Kaufman, the science teacher. We wanted to know what she thought of the thing. Mrs. Kaufman studied the strange plant and said, I've never seen anything like this before. I've looked it up in all the botany books and even on the internet. Nothing. Where did you find this again? We told her. I'll go check it out after school, she told us. It was the next morning when things got weird. Mrs. Kaufman showed up to class, but she was different. I mean, she looked like Mrs. Kaufman and talked like her, but she wasn't Mrs. Kaufman. It sounds kind of stupid, I know, but I'm being serious. She just didn't have the same emotion as before. The Mrs. Kaufman I knew from before was always smiling and happy, but not that day. She seemed in a daze, just going through the motions. Then, at recess, I saw her talking to some other people in the school parking lot. I couldn't tell exactly, but one looked like Chief Bennell of the police department. They all seemed to move in that same trance-like state Mrs. Kaufman did. They sort of huddled in the lot for about 10 minutes, looked around to see if anyone was watching, then went their separate ways. It really gave me a creepy feeling. Penny told me I was just being paranoid, but why would Mrs. Kaufman be talking to the chief of police? It was time to prove to Penny that I wasn't being paranoid. 
Then, I noticed Mrs. Kaufman's hand. She used to have a two-inch scar on the back of her right hand. She once said that she and her dad were fishing and a fish hook got caught on her skin. The hook went so deep, her dad had to dig it out with a pocket knife. Now, that deep scar was suddenly gone, as if it was erased along with Mrs. Kaufman's personality. I told Penny about the scar. She then finally believed me, but we didn't know what to do. Other people, teachers and students, were starting to act strange too, emotionless. That night, I told my mom and dad about it and they said, Stop watching so many scary movies. Can you believe that? Thud, thud, thud. And then it happened. The next morning, Penny acted weird too. She didn't care about Mrs. Kaufman acting strange. In fact, they regarded each other bizarrely, as if they knew a secret. After school, Penny asked me why I wasn't talking to her. Because you're acting weird, I told her. You're acting like Mrs. Kaufman. It's freaking me out. She told me that there was nothing to be afraid of. I want to show you something, she said. I don't think so, I said. Then Principal Cartwright walked up and grabbed me. In my office, he said. He marched me in there and shut the door. But it wasn't just us two. Mrs. Kaufman was there, so was Mrs. Siegel, the school nurse, and Penny too. Principal Cartwright set me down in a chair. Before I knew it, Mrs. Siegel stuck a needle in my shoulder and gave me a shot of something. To help you sleep, she said. What are you doing? I asked them. What are you people? Principal Cartwright brought in one of the strange pods like the one Jenny and I found in the woods a few days before. Since you're about to fall asleep and you'll awaken as one of us, I will tell you. I tried to get up and run, but Mrs. Siegel and Mrs. Kaufman held me down. We came from a planet not unlike yours, Principal Cartwright said. We were a proud race of organisms, kind of like you humans. But we had destroyed our planet and had to find a new one to inhabit. Only a few pods that contained our collective consciousness inside them were placed in a tiny spaceship that could travel billions of miles. That planet, the one we left, has been dead for many thousands of your Earth years by now. However, we can live and breathe again in this brave new world. After you go to sleep, this pod here will duplicate you physically and mentally in every way. However, it'll filter out bad emotions like hate and pride that destroyed our world. Now we will take over this planet and not make the same mistake twice. Not like you humans are currently doing to your world. Just go to sleep and wake up as a new person in a new world. Our world. But can't you see? I said, trying to reason with these alien imposters. By you taking over Earth by thinking that you're better than humans? That's arrogance. That's the arrogance that you're talking about. You won't get away with it. I will stop you any way I can. But the pod people said nothing. I could barely keep my eyes open. If I was going to do something, it had to be now or I would be asleep soon. Then I had an idea. I closed my eyes and relaxed my muscles in the chair, pretending to drop off into sleep. I could feel Mrs. Siegel's and Mrs. Kaufman's grips on my arms soften. They let go, thinking I was falling asleep. Thud, thud, thud. And that's when I bolted. I jumped out of the chair with all the energy I could gather. I dashed between Principal Cartwright and Penny and out the door. I sprinted down the hallway as fast as I could. Stop her, Principal Cartwright shouted. I ran out of the school and into the gymnasium. I wish I hadn't. In the gymnasium, hundreds upon hundreds of those strange pod plants littered the floor. It looked like some kind of alien garden. How did so many grow in such a short time? This must be where they're being stored. I hid behind the bleachers and watched. Then I saw something I couldn't believe. Chief Bennell, a few teachers, and even some students were taking the pods out of the gymnasium and loading them onto school buses. 
What were they gonna do with all of them? Take them to people's houses? Other towns? Was this their plan to take over the world? I watched until my heart felt like it crawled up in my throat. There she is! Mrs. Kaufman shouted. They'd entered in the side door of the gymnasium and were running toward me. I was out the door in an instant, but escape from the school grounds had been totally cut off. I needed a place to hide. The janitor's closet seemed like a good place. If these things are going to take over the world, then there has to be some kind of record to let someone, anyone, know what happened. I ran into Mrs. Adams' room. She taught English and was the editor for the school paper. She usually kept a microcassette recorder at her desk. I was lucky it was there. I took it, climbed into the janitor's closet, and locked the door, and then tried to barricade it with a mop and several brooms. I don't know how long it's going to hold, though. Thud, thud, thud. This door doesn't sound like it's gonna hold anymore. They're almost in. I'll hide this tape and recorder in the closet. I hope anyone, whoever you are, will listen to this and find a way to stop these pod people. I'm feeling sleepy now. So sleepy. Wow. That was a long, engaging story. Let's hope that Rhonda Sutherland finds a way to escape the pod people. I know my personality is kinda loud, but at least it's mine. Trust me, I'd be a pretty boring host if I was a pod person. I might lull you to sleep instead of keeping you on the edge of your seat. But hey, if you want to get a good night's sleep, there's nothing wrong with that either. Do you like to laugh? Ah, uh, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot and try to be the only actor who doesn't break the rules. These talented actors are great at coming up with silly scenes and stories when they follow the rules for the episode. And it gets even sillier when they accidentally break the rules. The stories are guided by suggestions from kids like you. And the episodes feature laughs, burps, and the occasional unicorn. So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello there, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This hair-raising tale, Story Club members, might make you fear your favorite feline. It's one I call Night of the Cat. Scratch, scratch, scratch. Scratch, scratch, scratch. The sound stirred me from a deep sleep. Scratch, scratch, scratch. Scratch, scratch, scratch. Something lurked outside my bedroom window. Waking up, I saw two glowing yellow orbs in the blackness. At first, I thought they were two car headlights coming toward me, but then I realized that they were eyes, and they peered right at me. My bedroom is in the basement of the house. The basement has one window that's right over my bed. The eyes peered down at me. I first thought that the eyes were reflecting off some moonlight, but then I realized that there was no moon. The glow emanated from the eyes. When I was a little kid, I might have thought this was a monster. Now that I'm older, I knew it was probably a raccoon or a possum or something. Maybe a cat. Yeah, a cat. The long pointed ears and the graceful curved shoulders. The cat just stood there watching me. I couldn't move, paralyzed beneath its gaze. Shoo, I muttered, get out of here. The shadowy cat with the bright yellow eyes ignored me, staring motionless like some kind of demonic statue. And then the cat let out the most horrible yowl, a shrill deep note that sounded like air escaping from a truck tire. It sent all the tiny little hairs on my arms up on end and a shudder running down the back of my spine. 
I felt my fingertips grasp the ends of my pillow. Foom! I heaved it at the window. The pillow bounced off the glass and then hit the floor. Then the cat was gone. I would have chalked up the midnight cat experience to a nightmare if I hadn't seen the creature again on my walk home from school. Larry Glitch and I had just walked past the old vacant lot on my street. It's been weed-choked and empty forever. At the far end of the lot is an old dead apricot tree, the gnarled naked fingers reaching out like witch's fingers in the dusky January light. And there was the cat, a gray cat with matted hair the color of chimney smoke. It perched on a branch in the dead tree. I knew it was the same cat because of those yellow eyes, those two glowing orbs the color of lemons. They watched my every move. Look at that, I said, stopping. Take a look at that cat. What cat? Larry asked. There, I pointed. In the tree. I don't see any cat. But it was there. I saw it. Have you gone blind? It's right there. Um, you're totally going crazy, Ivy. Larry said. Come on, let's go. I swear that was the same cat that was crying at my bedroom window the other night. Well, I didn't see anything. Larry said. I doubt you did either. You're just trying to freak me out or something. No, I'm not. What's that thing about cats stealing the breath out of children? Larry said. It's something about cats climbing up in bed, lying on the stomach of a sleeping kid, and sucking the breath, the life, right out of their mouths. Okay, who's trying to freak out who now? I asked. Besides, that's a myth, totally untrue. A few nights later while I was having dinner with my parents, I saw the beast again. It popped its gray, devilish head up into the dining room window. Hey, there's the gray cat, I said, pointing my finger over my mashed potatoes and gravy. Right there! Both my mom and dad looked out the window, but only saw the cloudy darkness. I don't see any gray cat, my mother said. Looks like it might snow tonight, my father said. Well, I've been seeing that gray cat everywhere, I said. I think it's following me. That's silly, my mother said. Now eat some of your asparagus. Gray cat, my father said. I remember a gray cat once. His name was Nightshade. He lived on this street, in fact. Maybe it's the same cat. No, it couldn't be. That cat died 30 years ago, as well as the owner. How? Well, when I was a little older than you, my father explained, you know the old lot? That's where old man Crowley lived with his cat Nightshade. Now, everyone in town was convinced that Crowley was some kind of warlock. He'd grow all these exotic herbs out in his garden that he constantly tended. Sometimes people would hear him chanting in his house. Every Halloween, kids would dare each other to walk up to his porch and ring his doorbell. He didn't like anyone, especially meddlesome kids. He would come to the door and yell, You kids leave me and my nightshade alone. He died? I asked. One winter when the roads were icy, his cat was struck by a car. The car tried to stop for the cat crossing the road but slid on the ice. Old man Crowley came out of the house. I remember this because I was walking home from school at the time. He glared at me and the driver of the car and said, You killed my cat on purpose. Then he took the dead cat into his house and slammed the door. A few hours later, his house burned to the ground. Now it's an empty lot and has been ever since. No trace of old man Crowley or his cat was ever found. Quite eerie, really. Can we change the subject? My mother said. It's not very suitable dinner conversation. Scratch, 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 scratch. That night, the sound once again stirred me from a deep sleep. I woke up and saw the two glowing yellow orbs hanging in the blackness like before. But this time, I was ready. On my nightstand, I had a flashlight. I grabbed it, snapped it on, and wielded the blade of light at the window. Except, the light didn't scare the cat away. It continued to peer at me, the light from the flashlight making the eyes glow even more. The cat hissed. 
All right, that's it, I said to myself. I jumped out of bed, threw on my jacket and pair of galoshes, and thumped up the basement steps with a flashlight in hand. I opened the back door of the house and peered outside. Everything was under a blanket of white. It had snowed. Tiny little stars sparkled and twinkled off the fluffy snow. I turned on my flashlight and went outside, trudging through the foot-deep snow, making pronounced footprints with my galoshes. I marched up to the basement window with flashlight blazing. I was gonna catch this cat to prove to people what I saw, but when I reached the window, there was no cat. And something else was even more strange. There was no footprints. A cat, no matter what size, would have left some footprints in the snow. It was impossible not to. But there were no footprints. I froze in the icy darkness and couldn't move. Then I saw the great cat. It stood at the edge of the yard through a hole in the picket fence. It sat there and almost looked like a rock poking out of the snow. I trained my flashlight beam on it, but the batteries then died. The pallid cast of crescent moon that reflected off the snow was the only light. Nightshade? I said. Is that you, Nightshade? The gray cat seemed to react. It tilted its head at the sound of my voice, an almost friendly gesture. Come here, Nightshade, I said as I crunched through the snow toward the cat. But the cat only hissed at me and then disappeared through the hole in the fence. When I reached the spot where the cat once was, it was the same. No footprints. The January air bit at the tops of my ears and my hot breath plumed like smoke in the wintry night. I could hear the northern wind blowing the chill across the neighborhood. Was it the wind though? No, it was that yowl of the cat. A shrill, deep note that sounded like air escaping from a truck tire. The mournful cry was coming closer. If this was a nightmare, I'm ready to wake up now. Okay, beloved listeners, I know I love going out and exploring mysterious and creepy places and finding creepy things, but even that freaked me out when I experienced it. I'm currently clutching my toy poodle Spike and Chihuahua Renfield close to me. They don't like cats, or creepy cat stories for that matter. I think we're now going to watch some funny dog videos on YouTube and keep the lights on all night. Actually, scratch that plan. There are loads of other great stories on the Go Kid Go network that I can listen to with Spike and Renfield to calm our nerves. Like Bobby Wonder, about a 10-year-old alien who has to protect the town of Pflugerville from villainous Mighty Mila, and Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn inventing all sorts of cool stuff with her mechanical pygmy goat, Kapow. And Martha and Waffle being totally hilarious nitwits in the underground world of Flusville. Just search for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, or Flusville wherever you get your podcasts and you'll find your way to a great time. And obviously, I better see you back here tomorrow for another eerie episode. Because every R.L. Stein Story Club member needs a little scare every day, especially in October. Ivy out! Go, kid, go! You probably think you know fairy tales. Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood. You probably think that they're cute and boring. But the real stories aren't cute and boring at all. The grim fairy tales were weird and sometimes gross and often scary. And in the podcast Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, you can listen along with a group of other kids as I tell them those tales. The episodes are sometimes grim, Sometimes grimmer, and sometimes grimmest. But no matter how creepy it gets, we'll always have a great time guessing what'll happen next, cracking jokes, and discussing what these tales mean to us. 
You can listen to Grimm, Grimmer, Grimmest now, wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow the show so you don't miss new episodes.